0: Welcome to the Iron Woman Podcast. I'm Haley Chura, joined by Alyssa Gadeski. Alyssa, it has been a major week since we last talked. I feel like I have been a- barely able to breathe. There have been so many announcements in like all areas of life, um, but I feel like we need to start with... Um, can we start with the Grammys? Yeah. yeah, let's start. Let's start with <laughs> late last night, and then work this, backwards. So this is a triathlon <laughs> podcast. This is an endurance sports podcast. Uh, but we both went to the Eras Tour. We saw Taylor Swift. We have declared her an endurance athlete after seeing her performance there. And I mean, were you watching the Grammys last night? No, I
2: was snug as a bug in a rug in my bed last night. Um, definitely did not watch. I regretted it though instantly as soon as I woke up and looked at Instagram today I was like no I should have been watching like I was part of a lot of group texts we discussed the fact that um Travis wouldn't be going to the Grammys with, Tra- with Taylor how what our thoughts and feelings were on that so like I felt like I I had led myself up to it and then I was like yeah it's the Grammys I'm just not like a big award show person right and so but then of course last night I was like oh I missed I missed a good one I missed the announcement
0: yeah, I held my breath for the entire entire broadcast. It was wonderful. I am a big I love award shows. I love music. I love fashion and seeing what people wear and you know what the jokes are and everything. And I just thought it was it was such an incredible show. And of course Taylor Swift did surprise us all by announcing a new album. What? Oh my god. How does she
2: have the time, the energy to be yeah, I mean, the world tour is not enough. The world tour plus a new relationship is not enough. The world tour plus a new relationship. Plus also just like the day-to-day doing her. I mean, I assume someone does Taylor's laundry. Does she even have laundry? Does everything just get like disposed of? She like donates to to someone who needs it, right? As soon as she wears it and makes more money. I don't know. But somewhere in that time, yeah, she found time to be making a new album. Like what?
0: (laughs) I did did not see that coming. I I mean, I followed her tour last year and I watched how she would like do three shows in Nashville and then fly back to New York City and be spotted at the recording studio. And I think, I think we assumed it was a re-recording of Reputation or when she was re-recording 1989 and which again, still very difficult, but maybe like a little bit easier because she's re-recording music and, but I mean, her work ethic, I mean- I, I, I stayed up. I stayed up late and I got up this morning to swim and I just told myself, I'm like, you're just like Taylor Swift. Maybe you don't need to sleep either. <laughs> <I> <laughs> There's mean, no way true. she sleeps.
1: There's no There's, way yeah, she sleeps. No, I,
2: I I would love to figure it out. I would love to just like shadow her for a day, an hour of whatever to like see how it is all done. Because I do think it would be interesting like how much of it, and she is I mean, we're just lucky to be alive and to be witnessing this greatness while it happens. That's just kind of what I keep reminding myself because I don't know how she does it. It makes me, doesn't even make me mad that she's able to do it all because I think it's just such a gift that she is doing it all. it inspires me. Yeah, while we're Like I said,
0: I was up late and I crushed my swim this morning and I was. (laughs) I was thinking about Taylor Swift and I was like, I want, I want to be... Like, I I don't think it's possible for me to be that hard of a worker and create that quality of a product. But I'm like, if I can aspire to like a, fraction of that I can oh, be pretty good right so good so
2: good I love your
0: um your top that you're wearing I, by am, the way. This I is, am wearing I is am this wearing new merch that you've got no this might I think my, my my friend Megan got this for me with my friend Megan, who I went to the the Taylor Swift concert with she got okay. I think this was a birthday gift um okay. Okay. from I last like year yeah. so yes I am wearing Taylor Swift merch in honor of Taylor Swift day which is every day <laughs>
2: which is that was the funny part when I'm like you know going through the transcripts of her speech and stuff that's basically what she told us it's like every day is great everything is great guys like no moment is like the moment right like live your life like Taylor and every moment gets to be like you're winning a Grammy
0: is (laughs) the moral of the story you also should definitely go back and watch the performances by Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs that one I sobbed through so good fast car I mean it was just it was so cool to see Tracy Chapman perform, you know, on TV. (laughs) And um, I wasn't live. I wasn't there, but I felt like I was there. Live on TV. Um, It was happening. It was so cool. And I think uh, Luke Combs, country singer, you know, has been so respectful of covering that song. And I think there's, there's just good lessons for all of us in that. And then also Joni Mitchell, 80 years old, performing at the Grammys for the first time, both sides now. And that is such a, that's such an incredible singer-songwriter song as well. I mean also oh, I think we are in the maybe the era of really appreciating lyrics and words and really celebrating these uh you know singer-songwriters and the lyrics and incredible stories that they tell through their music.
2: No, it's it's good. I do need to go back and watch those those performances, but it's just the the award shows are skewed west coast. I know a lot of sports are skewed often east coast, so it's like, you know, you give and take. But, um, when it's the, the late start times really get to me, but I need to just be like Taylor and be like, I'm going to make it happen anyway. No sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who
0: needs it? Uh, the one other thing that was, uh, skewed a little bit more toward East coast was the Olympic trials marathon mm-hmm. happened on Saturday. Uh, it was 10 AM Eastern time 8 AM for me, which wasn't actually that early, but it's earlier. Um, did you watch that race? I did. I got up. I went to
2: masters, got home perfectly timed everything so I could be on the bike for the start time. I actually was like early in my opinion because I thought the women were starting at 10, the women started at like 10:20, so I had plenty of time to um to warm up and get ready to watch that and paid my $6 to watch it on Peacock because I knew that my the bubble I live in on Instagram was not going to let me wait until noon to watch the tape delay coverage. So I wanted to watch it from the start at 10 a.m. And it lived up to the hype that I had made in my own mind for how great that race was going to be. What did you think? I know
0: it was so incredible. Both men's and women's races were incredible. Um, Alyssa, our picks from last week did not age well. I don't think (laughs) I can't. I don't remember yours in in particular, but I think mine, I, uh, McKenna Morley didn't start. Kira D'Amato didn't finish, um, who I, Nell Rojas didn't finish. I I know, I'm, oh, um, mine. But, but. Mine were actually pretty, mine,
2: mine weren't bad. I do want to give myself credit because Sarah Hall, fifth, Des Linden, 11th, and Kira D'Amato, okay, she didn't pull through. Nell Rojas, I want to say she didn't finish either, actually, but she was doing good for a while. Her and Kira were doing quite good for a while. I mean, major props.
0: Kira D'Amato took that out. She was Mm -hmm. like fearless running that race. Um, Sarah Hall up there a lot. It was, it was so fun to watch. It was so fun to watch that. I think, um, I think that, uh, you know, no, not many people had Fiona O'Keefe to, to win. Um, it was her debut marathon. She had qualified in a half. She also broke, Shelaine flanagan's record um and i think all three women the first three women across the line were broke the record so emily sisson who surprisingly we didn't pick yeah. uh, even though she's american record holder i feel like we were trying to go contrarian on that but <laughs> finished second she was like the one that wasn't as much a surprise and then third place dakota linworm that was a surprise i think a little bit um it it just shows why we run the trials right because we wouldn't have picked those people necessarily from paper but they showed up on the day
2: yeah, no, I think that's like the the special part about what the process is there and how fun it makes it for the spectators, the people who love the sport. Honestly, it felt like that's what makes it fun for the women who are running too, I think. I think that was like what I was feeling. I think watching some of the post pre and post-race interviews was just that there is that electricity, that excitement around no one knows what the day will bring and how it will, will unfold. And, you know, you don't really know everyone's cards that they're showing and things like that. So it was really exciting. I think, like you said, the men's race was, was pretty good too. I, I was kind of hoping for like the handhold tie or something. I was, you know, that was was like, they'd
0: race it out. I'm like, (laughs) this is the American trials. you got to like race it. I don't care if it's your best friend. Um, you wanted a handhold really. Yeah. I was like at that point, because I was like, what point I was
2: staring, you know, also because I feel like they should have been cutting to the women a little bit more during some of that time. But, um, They, I was like, what point are they going to race? And so like with, you know, a mile to go and then 800 to go, I'm like, these guys aren't going to race. So they better just like really ham it up, you know, at that point, if we're not going to get the race, like I want firmly one or the other, you know, this was kind of a little medium ground for me, but it was,
0: I, um, I mean, I think Connor man's did not have it in him to like handhold. He was like, he looked pretty shell. <laughs> he did, I mean, he did, he he did, did end shelf. up winning. Clayton Clayton Young definitely could have yeah, he, done whatever. He yeah. was like pumping up the crowd. Do and you think this is Matt and I were talking about maybe
2: like one of them had better bonuses. They obviously would know, right? They're close enough friends. So I was like, you know, do you just give it to your friend when you know they're going to be making an extra five, 10 grand, right? Based on winning. Would, I you know? did have
0: some speculation with that when in my, uh, my text group. It's just being like, since they do have different sponsors that their their bonuses could be wildly different then because you think you it was split the
2: bonus if you like give it to them
0: I mean maybe they I, are like best friends I, don't I know. mean I feel like I mean there might be some kind of a, a bonus there like a a training partner bonus or, um, I don't know. I don't know their deal, but maybe Clayton Young just doesn't need the money. You know, he's just not incentivized by that. He was just like, okay, this is, this is what I want out of life is to finish second Olympic trials. The other thing, did you, did you hear about his like water bottle situation? You know, there's a lot of talk and we do have a full conversation with Caitlin Donner coming up, uh, where we do talk about the personal fluids. And I feel like that's one of the things that people are, are most interested in uh, when you talk about these trials, because it is a little bit unique that you get, these personal water bottles and I don't know if you caught that Clayton Young you know put he had he used stainless steel water oh, bottles which I, like, didn't again, I didn't catch that I didn't catch that I'm like slightly like convinced this guy must just have so much money does he oh, not want the plastic <laughs> like to infiltrate his system ever. Is that like, the no. <laughs> I know I'm picturing like Stanley cups out there. um <laughs> No, he like, he put like a smaller bottle inside and then he put a hat, like he froze, like got a hat wet and froze it. So he put like five different hats out there on the course. Oh. And so he could pull the hat, the frozen hat. So I guess the stainless steel bottle kept it cold. Hmm. And then I think it did thaw, but it kept it cold. So he could switch his hat And then he also pulled his like smaller bottle out, which is like, this is a lot. I mean, during a marathon, (laughs) I think your your faculties are a little bit more with you. Your brain is maybe a little bit more there compared to an Ironman. Cause we do sometimes get our personal bottles at Ironman. I always just put water (laughs) and I just pour it on myself to like cool off. I'm just like, oh, but, um, but I'm like, you're like swapping hats and like grabbing a bottle and then you're throwing away. You're like what I imagine is like a forty dollar stainless steel bottle, just like tossing that? Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. Um Screw but- it, fifteen thousand dollars. I'm like, ah, those things are expensive.
2: <laughs> no, I did I did miss that. I was he the one also that like missed his one of the guy, I don't know, one of the guys missed his bottle.
0: Okay. Connor, the-, the guy who won. He missed his bottle. That might be that beginning. why yeah. he I just, like had that dead in the eyes look. Yeah, that was true. <laughs> <laughs> Miss calories, we've all been there. But congratulations, congratulations to to everyone who who raced in that race. I I loved talking to Caitlin about it. I think I loved watching it. It did inspire me. I was having a a tough ride um, that morning, and I I did think about that trials. And I I also felt so much admiration, even for the women who didn't finish. I think there were only 117 finishers, is what Caitlin said, which is really a small amount. I mean, I think 140 ish started and for the women's field, which is so much smaller than it was four years ago. And I think that was by design, but it was just, um, hard, hard event, hot race watching people. Like I think Betsy Sina like stepped off the course at like 23, when she Mm -hmm. was like running like close to third place, but it's just what happens. These races are so hard. And I still have so much admiration for those women for being out there, for giving it a try and and being a part of that. And so I was trying to like reflect that on myself as I was like suffering through some intervals.
2: And I will say I was very, I was very happy in the end that the athletes did work with, I don't know, World Athletics or whoever they had to work with to lobby for the earlier start time. I think that was absolutely the right move. I think we could see that. I think that wasn't heat.
0: World Athletics. That was like, that was like, uh, USATF and, and the local, track local organizing yeah. community. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I mean,
2: I think that was a big factor. I think it, you know, I, I don't know. I think that you race what the race is going to be on the day, but I do think the compromising on that was, was, was a good move. I think it made it to be a good fair race for everyone.
0: Yeah. And still really good for TV. And, um, you know, I just, I, I loved watching that and I am excited for, for all the other trials coming up and the actual Olympic and Paralympic games. It's a, it's a great year for endurance sports and endurance sports fans. Um, and then the other announcement that has happened since we last chatted the, the PTO professional triathletes organization announced their, their, world tour for 2024 the t100 what did you think about this announcement Alyssa?
2: um i thought it was interesting i have to give them props for continuing to build something right i think um it's been under a lot of scrutiny i think there is a lot of ways to improve some of what they're doing still but um they are forging ahead and like you know trying to keep triathlon on the map, trying to put triathlon more on the map. All of that is a good thing for our sport. But Haley, we came into this call and I asked you, I said, Haley, you love racing in Florida. Are you, (laughs) will you be going to the T100 race like in a month? Right. And so, I mean, I am pretty far removed. I've always been pretty far removed from the PTO racing. Um, I'm definitely far removed from how the T100 is working and how that's going. So I was like, you know, just sitting like every other listener probably wondering if Haley was going to be returning to the the state of Florida
0: for some racing. Um, I love this. so I've, I know I have this reputation of loving racing in Florida. <laughs> so um, quickly like reputations happen and how quickly like things happen. I do love racing in Florida. I know I'm pretty well there recently. Um, yeah, that, that, that first race in Miami happening like in March so soon, it's already February. This is happening in March. Um, that was news to me. (laughs) I didn't know that was happening. And, uh, I'm ranked 35th in the PTO rankings right now, I think for women. And I, I mean, if you, I think through my understanding, it was like top 16 ish (laughs) kind of got contracts and when they cut off that it's not the current stop top 16 it's like when they cut that off it was in october or something like that which is why our uh good friend sarah true from if we were riding did not was not offered a contract as i'm under my understanding even though she is ranked 16th which is kind of a shame um especially because it's wasted this long i mean assuming she wanted that um i you know that's it Since they waited this long to announce it, it's like, might as well just go with the current top 16. But I I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going on in the behind the scenes. And of course, there's four like hot shots um, that got, which is like Flora Duffy, Taylor Spivey, who are, I'm assuming, still targeting the Olympics, but also attempting to add in some of those PTO races. Um, And then Lucy Byram and... Who's the fourth? Amelia Watkinson was she considered a hot shot? Or she, yeah, I think I think that's who it is. Okay. <laughs> but um, there was right. some, yeah. there was some like confusion over like those like last rankings Kings and the hot shots. But um, I mean, gr- it would be a great race to have those twenty. And it's, I I think they want twenty athletes at each of these races. And so I don't know if I'll get a roll down. And this is how things were last year as well. I think even when they announced Ibiza, Milwaukee, and Singapore my initial thought was like, oh man, there's no way I'm getting into any of those races. It's one reason why I got tickets to go see Taylor Swift on May 5th. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm getting into Ibiza. And then I ended up getting offered a slot to Ibiza. So I didn't take it, obviously my priorities at that time in life and now, <laughs> um, but, um, but I think I I do think that it, it takes a lot of flexibility to be in my position to kind of be like, okay, am I going to get a spot? Am I not? I'm a pretty flexible racer. Um, in the past, I think when I got to go to the Collins cup as an alternate, I think I had five days to buy my plane ticket to Slovakia. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I went ahead and was able to do that. Um, last year, wasn't able to do a Ibiza. I think I found out Milwaukee about a month before. So that one I had a little bit more, Head up heads up for that, but I never expected to get a, an invite to Singapore. And then I did. And, but when you get these invites, you have like, I think 24 or 48 hours to decide. And that one, I think it might've been only like three weeks before the race. I would only have had eight days at home between. Milwaukee and Singapore. And it was a $2,200 plane ticket, which I was actually felt reasonable to go to Singapore, but it was also like a lot of money, not knowing if I was going to make money in Milwaukee and like also knowing I had this trip to Hawaii, which was very expensive. And so for me in that moment, I chose not to go to Singapore. There's a piece of me that's like, oh, that would have been a really cool life experience. And um, I don't know if I'll ever get that again, but those are the, kind of the decisions that you're making. It's very, um, it's, it's very last minute. It's kind of hard. It's like trying to be your own travel agent. But then also for me, like, do I have someone who can watch cowboy while I'm gone? And, and I'm a fairly flexible person. I'm someone who can, uh, you know, turn around and drop of a hat and like, be like, okay, I'm going to go race this weekend. Uh, might not be my best, but I'm going to go get my best effort and mentally I can do that. But even still physically and financially, it's still really, really hard.
2: Yeah. I imagine, I mean, I feel, I feel for you. I think that has been one of the things that bothers me the most about the watching the PTO tour kind of unfold and how it's all happening is just a major lack of transparency, which has been always a huge complaint of, you know, throughout my time with Ironman racing, it's just like, just tell us what's going on, you know, set the standards, let us all meet it. Let us know what expectations are, set some deadlines, communicate, right? Like you're running a business and people make this business, their livelihood, right? So that's kind of the least they could do, in my opinion. And I just see it with the PTO tours similarly, where it's hurting athletes like yourself who, you know, at 35, like you're a really, really good triathlete, Haley. Right. And so, except they're, they're, you know, treating you like second class, essentially. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about the top 16, potentially, probably most likely new, they'd be racing early March in Miami. Right. So like, to know that even a week ahead of time is a huge advantage to know that a month of time is like a monumental advantage, right. To like be able to kind of eyeball your season and just like see the flow of things and see that and not have to like, yeah, make a decision spur of the moment. Is my fitness there? Is my financial stuff there? Can someone watch my dog? Right. Is my, you know, can get these things covered? Like the stress of all that on the athletes who are in that like bubble of being able to really break through and make that leap into the top 16, right? It's just unfair, right? It's just like creating the very unfair environment. And to me, the fix for that does absolutely fall on the PTO. And I don't think it's hard. Like, I don't understand why they don't just set standards for themselves, to be honest, of like, these are the deadlines. This is when this group knows. This is when this group knows. This is when this group knows. And it's all done far enough in advance, right? So that like, it's fair because- it's just creating a culture that I think was one of Iron Man's biggest problems all along and still continues to be it just like, you know, making it just I mean, it's not a business when it's like really catering to certain athletes that they're helping, you know, so it's it sucks. Um, it makes I, would it... use, I would use stronger words, but we don't need to put an explicit rating on our
0: podcast all the time. It makes it very um, hard to
2: break in. It makes yeah. it very,
0: very hard to break in. You and have if it's to hard have... for you, I mean, Haley,
2: you've been Incredible. doing it for a decade, right? And so like you have experience, you have like mental, emotional, and physical fitness to like weather it, but I don't think that's there for a lot of pros. And that's, it's sad. It's just sad. Um. So I feel for you. And I don't know, maybe if people- From T1H, you're listening. They're like, man, Alyssa's right. She is right, and we are going to make sure we do things with more transparency from now on to help. I hope.
0: I hope they are working toward what you want. I try to give it like a little bit of like, okay, it's a it's a newer thing. And having been to a PTO race, you know, the race in Milwaukee last year, it was an incredible product. Like it was an incredible race experience. And I really hope it works. Like, I hope this can become a sustaining thing with more transparency and better cutoffs and more opportunities for people to break in and, and very exciting and great for broadcast. And somehow it does somehow trickle down to all parts of the sport. Um, we haven't exactly seen that yet. And one nice thing for me is that I have, I've seen it all. I love being a veteran. (laughs) And so I'm, you know, I'm gonna be just fine. I'm, I'm right now. I'm very much planning on Ironman Texas on being there, and possibly, you know, dipping my toe in that Ironman Pro Series, which scares the living everything out of me. Racing that many Ironmans at at this ripe old age, but um, <laughs> but also I'm like, eh, what else am I doing with my life? I'm like, uh, eh, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. We got, I'm gonna go for one first, and then we'll see how the other things go. So. Um, you know, it's an exciting year for seeing how things play out. Maybe not being a player, but maybe, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I mean, Sarah Hall, 40 years old,
2: had her highest place in her like what eight Olympic trials, right, that she has raced in. So, I I think being being quite ripe is maybe maybe a good thing. <laughs> yes,
0: I love it. I'm in like in sports, yeah. I will be running through the woodlands with my, you know, head back and my fingers all up and I'll be like channeling Sarah Hall and, um, and yeah, going for my best performance. I still have some goals. I still have some goals in the sport and I appreciate my body and what it's able to do and the cool places I've been. And, and even if uh, if they want to call me a B or C class, I'm like, oh, you know what? Taylor Swift probably has a song lyric that I can throw right back at them.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love it. Um, Well, I'm really excited to listen to your chat today with Caitlin. um, So we're not going to drag this out too much longer. But if people have mailbag questions you want us to answer, send those in to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com.
0: And this is keeping the trials hype going. Today, I talked to Caitlin Donner. And so Some of us in the triathlon sphere might remember Caitlin. She raced triathlon professionally during the 2010s. She was a major contender in the women's ITU draft legal races during her pro triathlon career. It included a big win at the 2015 New Plymouth World Cup. In 2018, she decided to step away from racing pro triathlon, and she started her own PT clinic in Florida. And she also decided to grow her family. She's had two boys since then. So it's 2023, and Trials are going to be happening in Orlando, which is only about an hour from where she she lives and where she grew up. And she decides that she's going to run her, her first marathon. And so she traveled up to New York with her family to race the Backlines McCurdy Micro Marathon, which was a really unique race. She talks more about that, how it was set up specifically to help people who are on the cusp of making those trials cuts make the trials cuts. And she did. She Alyssa, she ran a 236 in her very first marathon. That's and this is so one nice. of who you know, race ITU. She wasn't racing Ironman. She was racing 5k, 10k. Um, and you know, really, really did a great job in her first marathon qualified for those 2024 Olympic trials. And she did, she ran last weekend. She tells me all about that experience of, of racing in Orlando, about the support that she felt in what is nearly a hometown course. And she gave me the play-by-play on her own day. So I'll have that whole conversation with Caitlin right after a word from our sponsors. Alyssa, AminoCo has been a longtime podcast sponsor. And every time I'm listening to the show and I hear our AminoCo ad, I'm always shocked to hear how AminoCo co-founder, Dr. Robert Wolf has run a marathon in under two hours and 30 minutes, 62 times. I just can't believe that's a real stat. Me either. It is very impressive
2: and it gives me a lot of confidence. Dr. Wolf knows what he's talking about when it comes to performance and
0: recovery. I actually took Aminoco Heal before and after my recent knee surgery. I've been using Heal a lot after really big workouts as I've started to ramp up my training. And I also use my personal favorite Aminoco Perform before and during my hardest sessions.
2: Do you have a favorite flavor?
0: For Perform, I definitely go with the strawberry lemonade. It has a really light flavor and a little bit of caffeine that I think helps keep me focused during my really tough intervals. And for heel, I like vanilla. I just feel like vanilla gets me into recovery mode. What about you? The vanilla heel is my favorite too. I find it mixes really well into my post-workout
2: shakes that I make.
0: Wait, what do you put in your shakes? Well,
2: oftentimes just whatever I have in the fridge, sometimes vegetables, sometimes collagen, you know, whatever I have. Summer shakes are way more interesting because it's like, I make them cold. The winter shakes are a little less fancy.
0: Do you ever add snow to your winter shakes? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm going to start doing that now. I don't know. Maybe make sure it's clean snow. I am not quite as fancy. I just add water. It, I think it still works pretty well, but, uh, well, however you like your amino co you can rest assured that in clinical trials, muscle protein synthesis from exercise more than doubled by athletes using perform and heal was shown to trigger muscle growth and repair better than other high quality protein sources. Head to
2: aminoco.com slash ironwomen to see very large photos of me and Haley using AminoCo products. Then select your favorite products and use code IRONWOMEN for 30% off at checkout. First-time purchases also come with a free gift.
0: That's aminoco.com forward slash ironwomen and code IRONWOMEN for 30% off.
1: All right, Alyssa, I'm like starting to swim more again. And I feel like you were swimming a lot last year with, oh, with one water. And how did you keep your hair from getting so destroyed?
2: I was swimming so much last year. And I used TryHard, Kelly, and I still swear by it. They have extensively researched this problem and created a superior vegan dermatologically tested proprietary blend. TryHard has shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and more stuff. Everything you're going to need for your pre and post-swim necessities. I've also seen that top pros like Chelsea Sodaro and Lucy Charles Barkley also praise the effectiveness of try hard. I think it's like it's definitely changed how good I feel just coming out of chlorine.
1: And we have a code right now too for anyone who wants to try, you know, <laughs> try try-hard and stop suffering from dry, itchy skin, having their hair get all, you know, green, which happens to me because mine's like super blonde and Get all beat up. You can try any of the try hard products with the code 20Feisty. That's 20Feisty for 20% off store wide at tryhard.co. So that's 20Feisty for 20% off at tryhard.co. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome
0: to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you. So we're recording this just a few days after you raced at the 2024 U.S. Olympic
1: Marathon Trials in Orlando, Florida. How are you feeling? Pretty beat up right after the race, I think, because we were walking around and trying to find food that I I made the statement like I wasn't as sore after the marathon I ran in October to qualify. But as the days go on, I'm the soreness is setting in. So legs and hips and everything are pretty sore today, um, but really amazing experience to be part of that event. How did you celebrate? Um, we went out to eat with um, some friends just right afterwards, and we actually stayed in Claremont because we have a condo over there. So we didn't stay in downtown Orlando with the craziness. Got there and you know, like had dinner with my husband and the boys, and then was able to see the rest of my family yesterday. Most of them live so close to us here on the East Coast that I see them all the time. So just got to see family a bunch yesterday, and. Uh, back to work in the grind on Monday.
0: You're kind of a local-ish to to Orlando. And I'm curious, like what was the vibe like in in the days leading up to the race and during the race, like seeing what is sort of your hometown become a major hub for running?
1: Yeah, it was really cool. Even the weeks leading up to it, just to see athletes coming in and being in like the Claremont, Orlando, even a little bit North of their area. And just seeing your different social media posts of runners out on the Van Fleet or um, out at Waterfront. And so that was, that was pretty cool. And then the local organizers in Orlando did an amazing job. Just the whole lead up to the event made everyone feel super special. And you could tell like the community was really excited. And even on race day, the crowds were just amazing out there.
0: I believe you grew up running and you did race as a professional triathlete for most of the 2010s. But I think this was your first running Olympic trials. So why did you decide to qualify for these marathon trials?
1: (laughs) Um, Honestly, I have no idea. So I never had marathon in the back of my head. Um, A running joke, even here locally, um, is I've coached a lot of runners and they claim I said I would never run a marathon. I don't know if I ever said never, but yeah, I was pregnant with my second son and kind of wanted something different to do. I had started focusing on running versus triathlon after um, my first son was born almost five years ago. More just from a time standpoint that I wasn't going to travel internationally anymore. And it was much easier to get out the door and put my shoes on in the morning than to balance the three sports. So then pregnant with my second son, just wanted something to stay motivated throughout that pregnancy. So that maybe maybe a marathon, we'll see. And then they announced Orlando being where the trials were going to be. And that made me seriously consider, let's see you know, if we can make this happen. I qualified the McCurdy Micro Marathon up in New York. And so when that opportunity came up, To me, it was a no brainer. It was set up for everyone to be super successful. And I figured that would be my best chance to qualify and run here locally in Orlando.
0: So the McCurdy marathon was your first marathon. And then Orlando, the trials was only your second. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good uh, progression. If you're only going to do two, those were, you hit it out of the park. (laughs) Going back to McCurdy, can you tell
1: us more about that event and how it was set up to help people like you qualify for the trials? Yeah, it was an amazing event up um, at Rockland State Park. So a little outside of New York City. And it was on a three-mile loop course around the lake there. And they just did an amazing job. It was a small field. Um, you had to qualify to get into it. I don't remember how many women started. It was maybe, I think it was, it was less than 100. And they provided um, personal bottles once a lap. So every 5K about, you had a personal bottle, which I knew was not going to happen in any other marathon I did, with it being my first one. And we had pacers right at the 237. And there was actually two pacers for that group. There was a pace that was going to go out a little slower and built into it and catch us by halfway. And then there was a pace that was just going to go out and even split it. And so we had a huge group of women and we just went out, went out right, you know, at about that five six minute pace. And I mean, the pacer did brilliant. Um, he just nailed it. Weather was perfect. Flat loop course. So I got to see my husband, and the boys, you know, eight times on that course. And yeah, they qualified a lot of people that day. Um, It's hard to call it like a true race. I would say it was more like a a time time trial type thing Um, that nobody we were all had a common goal of going for that time. So, yeah, that was that was where I qualified and where I thought I had the best chance to do it.
0: Yeah, running 236 in your first marathon is very impressive. And I feel like most people might be like a three mile loop. That sounds terrible. But you had this like ITU background. You're used to going around exactly. in loops, right?
1: Exactly. It's fine. I love loops. So um that was totally fine. Like the eight-mile loop in Orlando felt long. I was like, if it was like a four-mile loop, maybe I'd have liked it better. So, how did it feel when you
0: crossed that finish line in New York and you knew you got that trials cut? I you're with a bunch of other women who also got their trials cuts. Was it a big celebration? Were you excited? Were you? I mean,
1: this was just in October. It just happened. really fun. I think, like uh, disbelief it took a little bit for it to set in um because I I knew it was pretty crazy when I, you know, started saying out loud that I was going for sub two thirty seven in my first marathon. I've watched enough marathons and coached enough marathoners to know. The marathon is just its own special beast and event. And so much can happen to think that you can, you know, nail it on your first one. And so I think it was just disbelief and then appreciation for the whole team around me that got me there and just a really cool event.
0: And so mid-October to early February, it's a decent amount of time between marathons, but it's not a ton of time, especially because you have, (laughs) you know, you have the holidays in there. It's a busy time of year. So how did you feel about your recovery and then your training in between the two events?
1: Yeah, I felt like I recovered better than I expected it was definitely like super sore. Um, I never been so sore from like any other event. I would like stare down the stairs in the morning once we got home, just thinking like, I don't know how I'm going to get down and you just got to go for it. But then after that, those first couple of days, within a week, I was doing like easy jogs. And so I felt like my, my body kind of came around. And then once I got into more marathon specific training again, I felt like I was really nailing the sessions and then doing sessions faster than I was before New York. Some of that was being in Florida. It's winter um, compared to doing it in August, September. So there's a little bit of a difference there, but I felt like the training cycle went really, really well um, going into the trials. And it kind of surprised me a little bit because of the quick turnaround between the marathons of how well, like it was just clicking and how much I was just truly enjoying like the long threshold work.
0: Did you have a group to train with, or were you doing this on your own?
1: Um, a little bit of both. So we have, have a group that trains together here nobody else was training for the marathon so i had them for like speed work days during the week and if we like if i was doing 15 by k i'd have someone for eight of them and then on the weekends, most of like the long runs um, with marathon specific stuff was a little on my own um and then there were a couple weekends where like i had my husband on the bike my mom was on the bike one weekend um one of my other training partners popped in so that was really helpful just to have company and for someone to carry a all the bottles and nutrition
0: that's cool that your family is so involved what about coaching i mean you mentioned you're a coach did you coach yourself did you hire a coach for this or you know did you just go off the Brenner's world plan on, in on the
1: internet <laughs> yeah um i coach myself throughout the whole thing and have pretty much been coaching myself since stepping away from triathlon and then having my boys originally just because I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I just wanted to have fun with it and everything was kind of clicking. My husband keeps trying to convince me, like, you need to reach out to a coach. You should. And I, I told him, I'm like, when I stop PRing at every distance, we'll talk about getting a coach. And so everything is just kind of clicked. And I mean, like, I just, I would, I write out a schedule just like I would, um, for any of my athletes, but see, the only difference is there's a lot of um, like day to day changes that happen between the kids and how I sleep or just how I feel in the morning. Like I'll have an idea, oh, I want to do some like 5K type work this morning, but I don't know if that's going to be K's or a ladder workout or 1200s. A lot of times, until like the morning of of what I'm feeling, and that's kind of another reason I haven't reached out to or pursued getting a coach is there's just so many moving parts with the boys in life and sleep or if one of them gets sick and brings it home and then I'm down for a couple of days so it's really easy for me to th- make those decisions on the fly as opposed to putting that on someone else that might you know I might not be able to get a hold of someone as quickly or someone that doesn't fully understand what goes on um with the boys yeah, you sound like the
0: ultimate problem solver. You know yourself, which is very good. And obviously you have a long athletic background, coaching background, and a physical therapy background, and you're on to something. You went 236 in your first marathon. It seems like it's working, but I, I want to ask more about Orlando. And did you get a chance yeah. to to preview the course because you don't live too far away? Did you go
1: there and run the loops and and scope it out? Yeah, I did um, once when the organizers offered a course preview there. So I went and we did one loop of the eight mile course. Um, That was the only time I ran it or trained on it. I probably would have done it more. um, I would say if I thought I was like truly in contention of like making the team that, you know, I qualified by 29 seconds, which that was the goal to qualify, not downplaying that in any way. But I wasn't on that starting line thinking I'm in contention to make You know this team in the top three. If that was the case, especially with it being so close, I probably would have, you know, try to get over there and run it some more and do some workouts on it. Um, Because actually, before New York, my husband and I flew up there. It had a goal of two two goals for that weekend. One was that we could spend time together where my parents had the boys. But then we did like my biggest long run of the build was up there on that three mile loop course. So I did it like eight times during that workout, and um, that gave me a lot of confidence going into the race. So. Yeah, could I have gotten over there, you know, to do it a couple more times probably would have made a difference. I don't know. But I did get to go see the course when they uh, hosted the course preview. And I mean, it was it was a great course. Um, There was nothing remarkable about it when we ran it. And even now having uh, raced it this weekend that, you know, a lot of long straightaways, um, the U-turns had plenty of room to get around. So nothing super technical. Uh, what did you think about the 10 a.m. start? There
0: was a, a lot of chatter about that when it was at <laughs> noon and then it was moved to 10 a.m. You live in Florida. I assume you're pretty good in the heat or you're pretty ready, but what did you think about it on race day?
1: Yeah, I, I don't remember feeling really hot during the race. Um, I started to feel warm like the last few miles, but I think I honestly underestimated it even living in Florida. And this is, you know, our cooler time of year. The whole time I wasn't like upset with it. It is what it is. Everybody's gonna have to run, you know, at that time. But on Saturday there was just not a cloud in the sky, and it was like high 40s in the morning, so it was pretty chilly. Like I warmed up with tights and two jackets on because I was just chilly. But once we got going within the first hour, hour and a half, and then throughout the race, it just got warmer and warmer. And I think that played a lot into even my performance that day. That I'm proud of it, proud of making it to the finish line. But I think there are a couple things I would have done a little differently. And some of it, even coming from Florida, um, I think my, uh, hydration plan might've been a little bit different. Um, I would have tried to do a couple more runs truly in the middle of the day. I did a couple at like nine, 10 o'clock. Um, try to do a couple more in the middle of the day when the sun, you know, is just out and not cloudy. But again, like the logistics and the schedule with the boys that the days I was able to get out were a little cloudier or I went at like nine, nine fifteen, which is very different than, you know, finishing at one. So I think it was a rough day. Like you look at, I looked at afterwards, there were 149 women that started and only 117 finished, you know, that kind of speaks to the, the conditions on the day, but it was just still an amazing event. And I couldn't believe the crowd support even, I mean, I was 107, so I was not anywhere close to the front and there were people out cheering the whole way. And even the finish line like the last 400 meters were so loud. So that was just absolutely incredible that people just stayed out there to cheer like every single person in.
0: That is really cool. Can you walk us through your day a little bit more? I, I watched from home and it was so cool. It did look so hot. It looked very hot. I mean, maybe, yeah, you weren't feeling, but I'm here in Montana in the snow. And I was like, oh oh my goodness, feeling for you all. But talk us through more of the day. Like, I, I think this, like the idea of the, how long of a warm up do you do before a race like this? And then what was it like to start on the starting line? Because it was only 140 women on that starting line. That was, the, it looked like a very small group. I don't know. If, I actually ran in 2020 when it was in Atlanta, when there were 400 women and it was just so cool because it was this massive group of people, but it was a small group this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think part of the heat back to that was that the humidity was so low, which for Florida is unheard of that even when I was running, cause I wasn't sweating a ton, that that kind of crept up on me also cuz i'm used to sweating so much but it was the humidity was so low it was just evaporating right off but yeah race morning so we we had to take buses from the hotel so we had to be um to like the host hotel by it was like 8:15 8. 8:30 8. at the latest um and then there were the big coach buses that took everybody to the starting line um there were we had to go through security and there was a you know the athlete area where um, they had tents set up and changing tents and restrooms and everything and you could tell there was, you know, just a lot of like excitement and nervous energy um, for us to get started because the start didn't for women didn't start until 10:20, so you know we we got there over an hour and a half ahead of time. So there's some people trying to lay down and relax, um, others doing more drills and trying trying to stay active. So a big mix there in the morning, and then we had a closed off street that was maybe a little over a quarter mile long for all of our warm up, um, and that was really nice that. It was barricaded off, but you could have, I mean, anybody could walk up to it. So I was still able to see like my husband and the boys and my parents and sister and friends and everything were there. So I could see them, you know, again during warm up and actually sat down with them for like 10, 15 minutes when we, when I first got there. And then for both this one and uh, the marathon I did in October in New York, I did about a little over a mile warm up. Um, I wasn't sure again before the first one, like I, I'm just, Kind of making it up on the fly. I felt like, like, what is my gut telling me? I've never done this before? But stuck to about like about a mile, easy warm up, just back and forth. I had to do it a little earlier than I did in New York, and I probably would have liked to, but that's just the logistics of big events, because um, then you have to make sure you get your bib on and then there's a staging area um, before walking over. And I think that's when it got real was when we started to get into like the staging area and kind of walked over to where the start was gonna be. And we were, you know, a little bit behind the men that started before us. And so the national anthem went and the men went and that was just really cool. Like you see the men take off and you're like, okay, we got 10 minutes and then it's our turn. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool. Um, we just all started to make our way to, to the starting line and it was, it was pretty crazy with how small the group was. Cause I watched, you know, Atlanta and how massive that group was. And yeah, starting this one. Um, It was just a lot smaller, which I mean, there's pros and cons to, to everything. If it was a bigger group, I might've had more people to run with, but just a really, really uh, special experience, making our way to the starting line with the big, uh, banners and everything else.
0: And the race seemed like it started really fast. The women's race, because that was, I talked on last week's show about how in Atlanta, it actually started very slow. You know, I was definitely not going to make the team and it was, um, much further back, but it was still like, wow, this wasn't what I expected, but Orlando, they went, right from the
1: gun. Yeah, they went out and I couldn't believe it because I was trying to stay pretty conservative. Um, So I thought based on training on like a perfect weather day, um, I could run 550s. Um, I knew Orlando wasn't going to be that day, but my goal was just to get as fit as possible going into Orlando and then whatever the day held. Um, When the weather looked, I mean, although it warmed up, it was much better than it could have been if the race was a week earlier. Um, The low was 72 in the morning and like 90% humidity. So if it was a week earlier, it would have been just completely different race. I think um, with that being the low and getting it up to like 85, 88 degrees. And so I was like, you know, I go out, if I go out like six to 605, like I was hoping that would be conservative enough, but I think it was a combination of the women just went out so fast. We had that 2.2 mile loop before the eight mile loop and it was like deafening for three miles, just the crowd and the support. And I'm just like, this is amazing. But then you look down, you're going like 540. I'm like, I can't, I can't run 540. Like, I mean, and I, I mean, I was close to the back. And so they were just like rolling up front. I was like, I don't know what they're going out at, but yeah, it took, and I, and I think probably it definitely caught up to me by a mile, like 10, 11, 12, um, that I tried to stay in that, like 5.56, 5.58, couple, like six minutes, but you were just rolling and it felt so easy and it was so fun. Um, but that's just another, you know, another aspect of these big races where there's a lot of hype and there's a lot of crowds that in New York, it, I mean, we were just at this park and it was just a small group. We literally like just had timing mats and they, you know, they'd even said like, you know, you're going to have your bottles on the course. We'll have water on the course, but like when you get done, we'll have bottles of water. There's, there's nothing else. So bring whatever you need to recover. Like this is just to get the time. So to go from that to the trials where it's just so big and so hyped up um, that I wish I would've gone out a little easier, but it was just almost impossible. Like, cause I felt like I was jogging the first two to three miles and we were just rolling it's the Olympic
0: trials. It's like, you you just have to do it. And that is so cool from watching the broadcast. It was, we could barely hear Kara Goucher at times because the crowds were so loud and that's cool that you got to experience that and got to, to hear that and, um, have so much support from your family and like all these fans of the sport. I know that, uh, you know, something that our listeners and even me, I love is the bottles. Like you get your own personal bottles in, in the race. If you choose, did you have, you know, your own personal bottles? Did you decorate them? What did you have in
1: them? Yep. Yep. So I did the personal bottle. So we got six of them, um, for this race. And I actually think there was a little bit of a mess up on at least most of the women's part that we started and did the two, the 2.2 mile loop. And we weren't supposed to get our bottle until like starting the eight mile loop. Okay. But when we passed the tables for the first time, all the women grabbed their bottles. And so I just grabbed my bottle. And I was even with um, a friend, Kelsey, that lives in Jacksonville. She's like, well, like this is early. Um, but we just all grabbed it. So then we came back around the table before heading out to the eight mile loop. And I, the men got the memo because there were like a couple women's bottles, but most of the women's tables were just, there was nothing on them because the volunteers had been told not to put them out again yet. Oh no. And you wouldn't have taken another bottle in two miles anyway. And then, but the most of the men's bottles like were there when we came around um, before they came around for the second time. So I was like, uh, I don't think we were supposed to take the bottles that time. Um, but it was like a one or two mile difference. So I don't, I don't think it changed anything in the race, but it was just, I was just laughing like, okay, well, I'm just following the crowds here and everybody's taking bottles. But yeah, so I had um, more in a 320 drink mix in all of my bottles. It was divided up to be right in between like a third and a half of um, the packet. Um, So in New York, I did a third of the packet. We got it every 5k. This time we got about every four miles. So I put very similar volume in there, but I realized in New York when I did it, you don't, I mean, you. You don't get everything out of the bottle as you're running. So, I like purposely put a little extra knowing there would be a sip or two at the bottom that I just wouldn't get down with running in the race. And Morton have these really awesome, um, and I think like the feed makes them. There's several companies that make them, and they're um, a more narrow bottle than their more traditional bottle, which just makes it a lot easier to grab. So, I had that. And then my son, Chris, that's almost five, he was the one that um, decorated. So, I had a couple of people ask when we were doing drop off, like, what does M stand for if I mean, my name's Caitlin. There's no M, Caitlin Donner. There's no M in there, but he told me it'd be for mommy. So he had a big M on there. Um, and we had Paw Patrol and construction vehicles and whatever other stickers he wanted to put on. So he was in charge of the bottles um before New York and this one and had a blast with it.
0: Oh, I hope you got a photo of that. We might if you could share for our social media yeah. that that would be amazing. I love the M for mom. And there were, I think, 22 moms in the field out of, you know, 140 starters. How
1: did that feel to be part of that crew? Yeah, it's really cool to see just how the sport has changed over the last four to six years with moms coming back to the sport, both in like the triathlon um, world and the run world of, you know, like you can have a kid and you can come back and still perform at a really, really high level. And it's really cool to see just the support that, especially those moms. At the top end. Um, You know, I'm not doing this as a career. Um, I'm not making money off of this sport in any way. But those women that are at the top and this is their career and they're making Olympic teams, it's really cool to see companies backing them um, and have things like the maternity leave policies and the pregnancy clauses and different things like that. Um, And I think that's just continuing to empower women um, on all kinds of levels as you mentioned the triathletes we've
0: seen Gwen Jorgensen coming back trying to make an olympic bid after having two children Katie Zafiris coming back and does that ever make you want to come back to triathlon?
1: <laughs> uh no. Yeah, I I had fun with triathlon um every once in a while my husband wants me to like do a local one with him um here just for fun. I don't know, I might do something like that like a local sprint just with him at some point um but it's just i mean it's really just the time that goes into triathlon and especially at that level i just don't have it with the kids um that i want to spend time with them and then now with having the pt office here and doing a bunch of coaching that I, i love doing that so much that i'm not willing to give that up um so i'll stick to running maybe do some triathlon for fun um of course like this week when my legs are way too tired to or too sore to be running i'll jump on the bike i'll swim um I still love swimming in the ocean. I have like one of my best friends from high school is training for these like crazy ultra 10 mile swim races. So we like, we go in the ocean here. I mean, I'm a mile from the beach, so love swimming in the ocean and we'll go out and do that. But yeah, probably no triathlon racing, at least at any kind of high level.
0: Fair enough. But I wanted to talk a little bit about your triathlon career. Cause I, you ran collegially at the university of Florida, but I believe you also raced triathlon while you were in college, because if my memory is correct, you and I actually raced at, I think it's the 2009 USAT age group nationals in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I think you won. And I was a little further back, but you were still in college, like as an undergrad,
1: when that happened, is that, is that right? Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So I ran, um, For I mean, i ran for three years. Um, So it was after my sophomore year when I was up in Tuscaloosa and was just convinced actually by my husband, um, now husband, and some training partners. Um, I was just home over the summer cross training, doing some swimming. And they said, why don't you come out and bike? And they convinced me to come up to Tuscaloosa. And my mom came with me. And my dad actually thought we were crazy because it was like a week before uh, we started back at school. And so cross-country practice was start up. And mom's like, yeah, it'll just be a fun girls trip. Let's just go have some fun. Yeah. Ended up winning it. And then USAT is like, do you, you know, you qualify for your elite card? Do you want to do this? I'm like, you know, I'm kind of like, yeah, no, don't bother me. Like I just, I want to keep running. This was just for fun. But then it was after my junior year then when I kind of revisited that running wasn't going quite the way that I wanted to. And I did miss swimming and doing some different things. So gave up my eligibility for that fourth year uh, during my undergrad of running. And that's when I transferred um, over to triathlon. So competed my senior year in undergrad and then throughout PT school. So you
0: were racing professionally while in, in school. So, and you were racing on the ITU circuit. So this is like traveling a lot internationally and, and it's hard. I mean, cause when you're a NCAA athlete, all you have a team, you have a lot of people who are helping you with mm-hmm. that and especially getting started in it was, I understand it. Like you're on your own a lot.
1: Yeah, it was a lot of training on my own. Um, I found little groups like, I mean, they had a master swim team up in Gainesville. So I would swim with them early in the mornings. Um, A lot of the running was on my own. Every once in a while, I would find some people from like one of the local clubs to jump in with. But yeah, I was doing that in PT school. And luckily, everybody was super understanding. I remember calling the professors after I got my acceptance and I had qualified for U23 Worlds in Beijing. That was going to be like, I remember it was the first or second weekend, first or second week of uh, PT school starting for the first semester. So before accepting that spot, I was calling the professors and who I, you know, never met, explaining the situation if, and asking if this is something that I'd be able to do. And they were super supportive, like then and then the whole time through schooling that we pretty much had an agreement I could take a week off of school, like not be in classes every semester to go pick a race. And um, you know, they'd help me get through. And I had amazing classmates that helped me. So we planned my race schedule around like missing one week of PT school um, every semester. And luckily it, it worked out, but yeah, it was a little crazy time. That does sound very crazy. What was it
0: like chasing, what I imagine was chasing that Olympic birth for London in 2012 and then Rio in 2016. This was a very exciting time for, I mean, American women in triathlon. It still is, but especially caught momentum during that time.
1: Yeah, I would say in 2012, um, in 20- 12, I got onto the um, start list for San Diego pretty last minute, um, which was one of the selection events. So that was definitely just to get experience. I hadn't been doing it for very long. Um, And then by the time Rio came around, it was an outside shot, but I thought there was, you know, a little bit of a shot. And I would say I just got in my own way with most of the races that just like the nerves and race anxiety and performance you know, at at that type of event with it being, you know, so hyped up and you're, you know, just thinking about it for years leading into it, that just didn't set myself up for the best success and like had, you know, terrible race at the test event there in Rio. And that was kind of the beginning of the end, I would say for triathlon for me.
0: I think you did step away around 2017. Can you tell us about that decision?
1: Yeah, it had, I mean, a little to do with, not making the Olympic team and then realizing, you know, kind of have how far off I was at that test event and being being pretty demoralized from that. Um, not having as much fun with the sport as I did initially that there was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of stress. And then knowing I wanted a family um, was another big decision. So that was when my husband and I had talked about maybe starting a family. I wanted to do more with PT. I was doing some per diem work, but we talked about opening up a practice. So, that's pretty much when I stepped in. Where I was like, you know what, this opening a practice really excites me. I've always wanted kids. Um, so about that same time, I I opened um, my PT practice and then within about eight, nine months of being open, uh, was pregnant with our first son. So then the, the rest was kind of history that, yeah, the triathlon was over racing at that level. And I don't regret that decision. Like that was the time for me of that chapter was over and to move on to the next one
0: was it wild being back at the Olympic trials and having caught all that like Olympic hype again in something that maybe you didn't think you'd ever get again?
1: Yeah, it definitely wasn't a goal, um, to, to make it back to the Olympic trials in any, any sport, um, in any event. So it was kind of surreal. Um, I tried to soak it up as much as I could this time, you know, I took my son to, the hotel to do like the bottle check-in and to get credentials and so he could kind of I don't know how much I remember he's almost five but so he got to kind of experience that and like he kept calling the hospitality suite like the snack room so try to soak it in a lot more but I'll tell you man this the stress does not change between between sports at the Olympic trials level like even that race morning and even like the technical meeting the night before is just like the technical meetings in triathlon where you just have all these like you know type a stressed athletes crushed into this room with their coaches and everyone I mean it's insane like the nerves and the anxiety like I was glad we were staying away but I walked back to the car and like almost had like an anxiety attack before driving back so I'm just like oh my gosh we're back to triathlon days this is like so stressful so high level so that part's like and I would say I'm way better than the triathlon days that I was able to like calm myself down and move forward so I'm really proud of that um but yeah I think people don't realize that like it's not just that's starting line, like the days leading up to it of, you know, just seeing athletes around the hotel and being in the technical meetings and everything else. Um, it's, it's a wild feeling. I would agree with that. I've,
0: I've done the swimming Olympic trials twice. And then I did the marathon Olympic trials and only in one of those, did I ever have a outside chance of making an olympic team and i think that might have been the. i was very very nervous i was very nervous for all three but it is it's like yes like the the my first olympic swimming trials were great and then my second one i was like my i was like so scared of getting last but then i've also but then by the time i got to marathon trials i was like hey getting last isn't that bad you're at the olympic trials but i was still like why am i so nervous (laughs) like
1: so, right that was all race morning i'm like why this like literally does not matter like the goal was to get here no one cares. No one, but yeah, it's like, I was coming was like, I need to calm down. Like I am so amped up and like, this is a long event. Yeah.
0: It's living though. I mean, you have the stories forever. Um, before I let you go, I do want to hear about new way physical therapy. You are the owner a founder and you post a lot of great workout Wednesday videos. So I am curious if you, you know, Knowing the time of year. Oh, we have Chris. We have Chris coming in, who is also your- Oh, this is Mikey. This is
1: the baby Oh, Mikey, one. Mikey.
0: Okay. Well, your your yeah, children yeah. do often co-star in your uh, in your videos, which are amazing. If anyone should, we'll, we'll link to your Instagram, of course, so everyone can look at that. But I am curious, like this time of year- for most of us, I mean, obviously, you just had a big event. Most of us are kind of ramping up our seasons. Might be interested in incorporating some strength. Do you have a favorite exercise for for runners or triathletes as they are getting into their season to hopefully stay healthy throughout the season?
1: Yeah, I I wish there was one. Um, there's just so many, and it's so individualized with depending on um, you know your background and injury history and everything else. I would say my biggest piece of advice with runners and endurance athletes is to try to do as much on one leg as you can, Um, especially with running. It's a series of, you know, single leg hops from one foot to the other that, you know, increasing your strength on one leg, whether that's like single leg leg press, um, single leg squats, um, like a single leg RDL, single leg calf raise, um, just to create that stability (laughs) at the knee, hip and ankle. And then build strength on that. Um, and then also, just a lot of focus on the lateral hips. I see that overlooked with there's then um, triathletes a lot is anytime you have weakness at the hip, it affects the knee and foot all the way down. So that's, you know, things like clamshells, lateral resisted walks, um, I think will help a lot. So anything single leg and a lot of hip work.
0: That could be our theme for 2024 oh, single leg exercises. Yes. One more thing what is
1: the new wave girl gang? <laughs> So created new wave. Um, and it's just kind of grown into like this culture here um on the East Coast. We have a racing team. Um, I do a couple camps, and then we just had this really cool group of girls um that we just trained together. And I actually saw at um Furman University that one of the runners I had the pleasure of working with now runs for them and they are, they had like Furman Girl Gang or something like that. And I was like, i love that, like just this like, like girl power type thing. Um, so pretty much just mirrored them. And so a lot of, you know, the girls I train with, um, and a lot of the women that just inspire me by being, you know, moms or business owners, um, or just getting out there and completing their 5K for the first time. We've just created this like women empowerment girl gang to make it fun group. I think it's so cool.
0: Love the merch, the t-shirts, um, love following online. Loved watching the race this past weekend. Huge congratulations. I hope your recovery keeps going smooth. You keep celebrating. And Mikey there keeps helping you with uh, those Wednesday workouts. (laughs) Thanks, Mikey.
1: Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much.
2: (laughs) Happy New Year, Iron Women podcast listeners. For those of you new to the show, we want to tell you about Pillar. Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. The easiest way to describe it is hydration and carbohydrates products that will take you through to the finish line. Pillar's mission is to get athletes to the start line in the
0: best condition over and over again. After seeing athletes like 2022 Ironman world champion Chelsea Sedaro and 2016 Olympic gold medalist Gwen Jorgensen post about using Pillar to improve their sleep performance, I decided to give Pillar triple magnesium a try. I take it about 60 minutes before bed and I do actually feel like I sleep deeper and recover better. In the same way I love to start my day with a coffee, I now wind it down with a cup of Pillar triple magnesium and recover better for tomorrow's training.
2: If you would like to make Pillar part of your 2024 New Year routine and you are in the U.S., head to thefeed.com slash pillar and enter code FEISTY for 15% off of your first purchase. For our international listeners, head to pillarperformance.shop and that's code FEISTY for
0: 15% off of all first-time purchases. Alyssa, I love strength and I love strength maintenance work. So anytime I get to talk to a PT, like Caitlin, I I love getting some ideas on exercises. And I have been, like I mentioned in our interview, um, stalking her Instagram, that new wave PT Instagram, because she does a really good job of like demonstrating some exercises that are body weight or very little equipment that I think all of us can probably add to our running or triathlon routines just to stay healthy. And I, you know, I asked her about it. She talked about single leg, single leg exercises being especially important for runners and triathletes, especially this time of year. Do you have a favorite single leg exercise? I mean, I know you've been in PT a lot, rehabbing your knee. Uh, Have you been doing your single leg drills?
2: Oh man, I don't think I think actually there's like no other option. I think pretty much all of my PT exercises, all my strength exercises, actually are single leg. So, um, so <laughs> that tells you something probably. Right. Um, I think my favorite at the moment is single leg squat, which you guys keep this, take this with a grain of salt. Right. So I am not Emma Coburn doing a single leg squat with no like props and a Red Bull can on my head. I don't know if people remember that day, but, um, that was pretty impressive. I am doing single leg squats with like an eight pound dumbbell and, um, a pretty tall (laughs) jump box behind me as like my backstop because I need to like sit and then stand. Right. So it's like a squat, but also not a squat um, because I'm not strong enough to like hold myself yet. Uh, but I like that one because it's really hard. I think it's like um, I always feel best the next day. Like that's one of the things I do the next day. And I'm like, I can like feel that like doing something. Right. So I think those kind of exercises are nice when you're like, you actually get like a quick, you know, feedback loop from them to be like, okay, that is hitting on a weakness. That is definitely something I should be working on probably working
0: in more than the once a week I do them. I don't know. What about you? I love, I love the single leg sit to stand. I use like a bench or a chair. And I haven't one trainer at the gym did tell me to use like a lower bench. (laughs) Um, She was like, here you go. And so um, I think that's a way you could like gradually get into that. If it is like a hard exercise for you, you know, start with a chair that's higher. I mean, I'm not a physical therapist, but I imagine from my own anecdotal experience and then go to a lower bench or a lower box. Um, But I think sit to stand is fine. Actually, this is one of the exercises that is in Caitlin's Instagram. And this is, How my mind works is I thought it was so funny. Like she she talked about when in in her video she talks about like keeping it really smooth motion and avoiding like plop at the end onto the hair right and that just reminds me although the plop reminds me of a Taylor Swift and vigilante shit and that her dance. (laughs) I mean, it's a very, it's a very hot dance. And and I was like, oh, she shouldn't be doing that. She's missing out on some strength routine there, but she's probably doing plenty. Um, But yeah, yeah, so don't, don't, don't do the Taylor Swift plop. You got to keep that motion like very controlled.
2: Haley, I just started working with a new strength trainer as trying to get my, my knee up to speed. And he put um, the box that I'd be doing a sit portion of this on behind me. (laughs) I was like, I was like, sir, this is a shoe box. Like you want me to literally... (laughs) I was like, you think I could, I was like, thank you because you think I could do that. But I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) He's like, just try it. And I, Haley, it felt like I was like falling off of like the Brooklyn bridge, like never going to stop. Right. I felt like the down was so, and it was like a major plop and he's like, all right, all right. Get the bigger one. (laughs) I saw it. Cause I was like, I'm not, I was like, this is much too small, but yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. That's what I'm apparently working towards. So you got to have goals.
0: Yeah, I love it. We'll keep it up with the single leg exercises. And thanks again to Caitlin. Congratulations to everyone who raced this past weekend. You have made my endurance sport athlete, spectator heart just swell and inspired me so much. And I had was so entertained and I, I just, oh, it was so good. All right, Haley.
2: Well, let's hope that we can continue these fun announcements, mostly coming from Taylor Swift for the next week and just keep riding these out, right? Uh, wave after wave and
0: keep training because you'll, you never know when you might be an invite to Miami. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep working hard. I got to keep the Taylor Swift. Uh, I know she's, she helps prepare us for like crazy announcements, being ready for everything. Incredible work ethic. There's so much we can learn. Thank you, Taylor. And Alyssa, it's been great chatting with you. I'll talk to you next week. Bye Haley. You've been listening to the iron Woman podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadesky. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited by Lydia Russell and produced by Ellen Titian. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks
1: for listening.